here's what I think the best entrepreneurs do. I think they get passionate and super excited about something, seeing the world differently. Mm -hmm. They can't be talked out of it. But the side attribute that they all have is that they listen and they take feedback. Doesn't mean they change, but they take feedback. And so I watch amazing entrepreneurs every day that come in and say, I want to build the next X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. And then if smart people say, well, maybe you don't go left, but you go slightly to the left and they go, ah, yeah, okay, now I'm going to take that and build upon it. So it's a thin, thin line between having the bold conviction to go do something different, but also taking feedback because one without the other doesn't work. If all you do is take feedback, you'll keep changing your mind. And if you don't listen to anybody, you're probably going to get stuck somewhere along the journey. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Mike Smirklow. Mike is an experienced entrepreneur, an investor, and business leader having bought and scaled a small business into a publicly traded company worth nearly a billion dollars in value. To say the least, he's got a deep understanding of hard work, dedication, and grit that it requires to truly power successful entrepreneurship. Today, he's the co-founder and managing director of Next Coast Ventures. Smartclo is a champion for a new generation of entrepreneurs building disruptive companies in big markets. We talk about his latest book that came out in November of 2020 called Mr. Monkey and Me, which is a real talk guide for entrepreneurs who want to cut through the noise to cultivate a mindset that supports greatness. I love this conversation with Mike. We talked about a lot of things, mostly about the things that you usually do not hear about in business books. We talk about the importance of the things that really power success. And those are the things between our ears. Without further ado, Here's my conversation with Mike Smirkwa. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with Direct Clicks. Direct Clicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, DirectClicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. 
You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve chairman circle, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club, and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Mike, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Bradley. Great to be here. Glad to have you. So we always start with background and origin story. And so for our listening audience, why don't you tell a little bit about kind of your background and your journey to where you are today? Because I think it's a fascinating story of both entrepreneurship and small business to be able to get to where you are. Yeah, thanks, Bradley. So my quick story is I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. First person in my family to ever go to college. Kind of came out of some rough backgrounds and beginnings there, which we can dive into. I then went to uh, college down in Southern Ohio, made my way to Chicago, did some work in financial services, started my job, my career. My first job was as a CPA, a job that I was on the job for about three hours before I realized I instantly hated it, <laughs> but <laughs> but was able to endure and got understood the language business, then went to work on Wall Street, got my MBA at Northwestern, and then moved out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s a very vibrant, crazy time to be out in the technology world. I went back to investment banking for a few years, and then I helped. I was the first non-founder of a very prolific technology executive, a guy named Mark Andreessen, best known as the founder of the internet browser. I went to work for he and another guy named Ben Horowitz. There for two years at a company, saw that go from concept through IPO. I quit after that, after the IPO, and then went and raised a small pool of capital to look for a company to buy. I wanted to run a business. I didn't have a great entrepreneurial idea. So I used this path to entrepreneurship, bought a small business and ran it for 13 years, took it from a small couple million dollars revenue to 300 million revenue, publicly traded 3000 employees around the world. And then after doing that, I eventually quote unquote retired, I moved to Austin, Texas to start a venture capital firm and now co-founder of Nexcos Ventures here in Austin, Texas. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, the convergence of three things, I think we'll end up talking a lot about and obviously your newest book, but to be with those two guys, with Mark and with Ben, just two icons in the tech world and venture capital, and then to do it yourself with your own company and to go from 2 million to 300 million, and then to have, and I'm not sure you can probably speak to this, how many businesses that you've actually helped to give funding to capital to be able to see them. I mean, just your experience in that world is incredible. Can you just speak to how your early experience with Mark and Ben, how much that is still influencing the things that you do today with other small businesses? Yeah, great question. I mean, so we in Next Coast Ventures, we've got about $500 million of assets under management. We've invested in over, I think at this point, 60 different companies mostly early stage startups, as you mentioned. It's really interesting. I think when you get to meet with folks like that earlier in your career, 
you probably don't realize the long tail impact it has on you. My joke is it's like, you know, we're talking football before. It's like my dream is playing football and then you get to go coach at Alabama. I know someone you're not too fond of, but we got to bring it up because it's like or Ohio State. And you suddenly see the world at a different pace and a different approach and a different mindset. That was my operating experience with Mark and Ben. Now, when I think about what I really take away is have a big vision. Don't settle for small things. I remember Mark, you know, giving me so much advice. It wasn't really advice. It was observations even 20 years ago, but it was like, look for every advantage you can get in the business, things like that. And then how Ben operated the company and how we had management by objectives from early days and things like that, that really influenced me both as an entrepreneur. And now when I'm coaching entrepreneurs, I guess the long-winded way to say much more than I ever would have expected at that point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. One of my really good friends, one of my best friends, he lives in Atlanta now and he works for a bank that you probably have heard of, maybe even done some work with Bridge Bank out of San Jose. And so one of the things he tells me about the deals that they work on, they look at the technology and they look at the market. They look at all of those things. But one of the biggest things that he looks at or they look at in deciding whether or not to to be able to get the debt side of the for the business is the management team, just the people and the track record of success that they've had. How much of that plays into for you? Yes, you're going to look at what is the problem that they're solving and the technology, et cetera. But how much do you pay attention just to the management team and the leadership? Yeah, I would say almost every one of our investments. What you do in ventures, the first you look at is how big is the market? Because we do have to look at market size. Then the next step down is how disruptive is the solution? Is this something that's unique and differentiated and do customers love it? But once you get those past those gates, 98% of our energy is the entrepreneur, what we call a glass eater. Is he or she going to, within legal and ethical boundaries, do everything they can to be successful? And I think it's everyone around Next Coast has been an entrepreneur. I talk about this in my book. It's like, it is the greatest job in the world, but one of, if not the hardest jobs in the world. The mm-hmm. emotional roller coaster just never ends. And so understanding the mindset of the entrepreneur, is she going to be able to endure with the ups and downs? Is she going to be able to deal with the downs? But when things are going really well, is she going to be able to keep her head about her, if you will? And so the entrepreneur is the bulk of where our energy goes into. And I would say every decision we made, good or bad, it's probably we either overestimate or underestimate the entrepreneur. I don't know if you're familiar with Donald Miller. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are, and I love his work. I mean, building a story brand, I think it's fantastic. He has really pivoted in one of his most recent books came out. It's called Business Made Simple. I've been outspoken on here to say, I think business is anything but simple. In fact, I think business is hard and it gets harder, right? It's hard and it gets harder as you grow. And you can speak to that from 2 million to 300 million. The problems that you dealt with at two were not the same problems you were dealing with at 300 million. That said, you discuss in the book is that the difference between the businesses, entrepreneurs that you've invested in and the ones that you've been a part of just personally is it has nothing to do necessarily specifically with the business plan, resources, market size, et cetera. And all of those are still important strategy. But the real difference between success and failure is between our ears. Yeah, I think that every category, let's go through some history of business, right? Pick your category. Let's go coffee. 
Okay. It was Starbucks. You know, there's 20 other companies that had that idea back in the day. Go to Nike. Some of my great, just my personal heroes of business, Phil Knight, Nike. And you think about how many other companies there were at the time or through their history that they competed with. And similar stories, similar resources, similar capital, all the good stuff. And for some reason, one succeeds and goes on to build a massive organization that stands the test of time and a bunch don't. I did a bunch of work in preparation for the book, both learning at my own experience, looking at people that I had had the fortune to work with. I also went to some entrepreneurs I knew. I'm fortunate I'm in a group called YPO where I had a bunch of really much more successful entrepreneurs than myself and, and just asked them like, hey, what do you think it was? So I did a bunch of research on it and it ended up coming. It's where the formula in the book came from, but it ended up being, yes, it's mental tenacity and then certain attributes that tend to allow not only the persistent mindset that we all know so well, but being able to continue to evolve and develop and grow. That to me is the really, really hard stuff. And, you know, most of it's between our ears. Yeah. You've kind of mentioned it a couple of times, but your book, Mr. Monkey and Me, A Real Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs. First of all, how did you come up with the name? And number two, I love the cover of the book. Can you talk about kind of just where that came from? Yeah. Well, so first and foremost, anyone who's interested, I'm always misbalanced. Is all the proceeds go to charity. This is not a profit motive. It goes to fund a scholarship my wife and I set up for diverse and underrepresented students interested in entrepreneurship. So there's my shameless plug. It's available on Amazon, but anything that any proceeds go to fund the scholarship. I wrote the book largely because I got exhausted by the content that I saw for entrepreneurs. On the one hand, it's always the, here's a business plan, or here's how you build a model or financial budget. Those are really important, but not exactly inspiring. And the other end of it tended to be these wild success stories that just skip over all the hard stuff and tell you Elon Musk is eating Cheerios at 5 a.m. You know, great. <laughs> little, maybe I should go buy some Cheerios. Oh, that was helpful, right? Or they make you feel bad about yourself. Like, shoot, I'm not Elon Musk. Wow, I must be a failure. And there was nothing in the middle and there was nothing that talked about this mental aspect. And so that's why I wrote the book. The title actually came from, I didn't want to write a boring business book my career success has been interesting, but as one of my dear friends said, short blog post at best, it was really about this mental aspect and something that I personally have still struggled to overcome, which is a voice inside my head saying, you can't do it, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So the monkey, Mr. Monkey is the real star of the book. And to really put a shot, a bright light on this mental aspect of it, what I did was bring this character to life this monkey voice in my head that's telling me I can't do it. So that's where the title is. And Ken Lee, he's the real star of the book. The cover was my 13-year-old son drew it up, which is really fun. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we all have that, but sometimes we're not. I think it's actually coming around to where as entrepreneurs, business owners, and especially men, I will say that, tend to be a lot less vulnerable and open with the struggles in our lives and in our businesses. I think that's the beginning to change, but I'm so just grateful for you being willing to, I mean, look, you have had tremendous success for all the things that you've been able to do. I mean, there's a lot of people that would aspire to that level of success. And so don't you agree that it's becoming a little bit more commonplace, but we still have a long way to go for folks to be able to share more things about just mental health, self-care, et cetera, because the toll on us as entrepreneurs, business owners is really great. 
I think it's becoming easier, but it's not easy. And I think most men of a certain age don't know how to do it. I think we're more aware of it, but I certainly didn't know how to do it. I mean, I was raised, I'm not that old, but I was raised by very aggressive alpha male. My uncles were of a different generation kind of military and strong-willed and all that stuff and all that BS that goes with it. And so part of my monkey voice was, would bounce back and forth between you can't do it or showing weakness was, I tell the story in the book of me being in a meeting and for the first time ever as a CEO, kind of admitting I didn't know what I was doing. And man, the monkey was jumping up and down on the table. Like, what are you doing? You, did you say you don't know, right? And so we all deal with imposter syndrome or certainly fears, all this stuff. That's human nature. But how do you address it, understand the voice and do something about it? Yeah, I do think we're getting more aware. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was to help with that. But then it's also like, now that you're aware with it, what the heck do you do with it? And how do we start to grow and evolve as leaders? Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a state farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. You did mention earlier, and I want you to break down what is your shape formula. So talk about kind of how you came about with that framework, what it is, and then how we can apply it. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, like some of the research I did was going in and first of all, talking about mental tenacity, but then asking the second and third level question to people I knew, really polling them and saying, what do you think are the most important attributes that you found from mental toughness? And that's where the shape formula arose. It's not exactly Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it kind of builds upon itself. And so the acronym stands for S is for self-awareness, H is for help, A is for authenticity, P is for persistence, and E is for expectations. And what I tried to do was, one, tell funny stories, mostly making fun of myself in the book about where I learned these or how I screwed them up, but then also describing them in a little more detail and also ending each one of the chapters with specific actions. So we call them monkey minders, but a way to start to think about self-awareness, for example, or how you get help. 
or how you move through this the acronym in a way that I hope is actionable for entrepreneurs, regardless of whether you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, you're running a big business, you're running a small business, it doesn't really matter. Hopefully it's applicable to just about anybody. What was one of the early times, I'm thinking back to the time that you decided to leave after you had had that run with Mark and Ben and you decided, hey, I'm going around on my own, I'm going to raise capital. I'm sure that there had to be times just in doing that, that you had to have that monkey on your shoulder saying, you know what, who are you to be going around asking people for millions of dollars? Yeah, that voice just was there no matter what I was trying to do. But I remember one time and it's kind of interesting. So when, when I quit, so I'd gone from one time I was at Morgan Stanley and my bonus was almost a half a million dollars. And you're talking about a kid who came from literally the most anyone in my family had ever made was maybe $20,000. So yeah. that was all the money in the world. I quit that job. I go work for Mark Andreessen. I'm flying on this private jet talking about the future of technology. I quit that job. And then I go raise a small amount of capital to look for a business to buy. And I'll forget, like my mom was dying of cancer at the time. I was married as breaking up my first marriage. It was like a bad country Western song. You know, I was just waiting for my dog to die or my truck to pop a tire on the freeway. And, you know, you would have had the next great country music song. But I remember in that time of just real darkness and being constantly plagued with this voice of going, what are you doing? And why did you make these decisions? But the good thing was, Bradley, when I finally learned to, it was one of those pivotal moments where I was like, okay, I need to get this voice to the forefront. I need to understand what he's saying to me. I need to understand where it's coming from and I need to address it. And it was almost like I need the monkey to come sit at the table with me, crack open a beer and say, all right, let's figure out what you're saying to me. Some of it's actually relevant and important. Some of it is complete BS and some of it I can take to either be fuel or ways to evolve. And it was in that, like the depth of that really dark period where I started to say, okay, now I understand it. Now I can use this to somewhat stay sane, but then also where is their learnings in this voice? And that's my biggest encouragement. Don't try and shut the voice out. I think everyone has it in my case. I think in most people's case, it never goes away, but try and take that voice and turn it into something you can learn from and grow from and evolve from. I guess that mm. would be my biggest takeaway from that dark moment. It just makes me think, and I'm not going to mess this quote up, but Dan Sullivan says something to the effect of your challenges become the raw material for your future or something to that effect. I know he uses the term raw material, but that and then oftentimes, and I've said it on other episodes, that your mess becomes your message, right? Like you've actually used that darkest time to then change who you were as a person, first and foremost, to be able to, and actually you probably wouldn't be where you are today if it wasn't for those moments. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like all sorts of blessings, all sorts of gratitudes, all sorts of, you know, the old, I think it is Garth Brooks, thank God for unanswered prayers, the things you hope for and you wish would be easier, but then they crystallize you in focus. I think the other thing too is just taught me persistence and hard work. I've had a great career. I've been lucky, but there is sometimes too, where it's just like, get back to work, keep grinding, keep pushing forward. Just that motivation to get through something also then turns in in most times to be fuel to the fire. All right. So this is going to be a masterclass on entrepreneurship. Few questions here. Okay. So if someone's listening to this and they have an idea and you've sat in a lot of pitches for ideas, okay. You've seen some really good ones. You've seen some really bad ones. You've seen some good ones who didn't have execution. You've had some really bad ones that ended up probably taking off and being incredibly successful. If somebody's sitting around thinking about, okay, look, I think I have this idea. I have an idea for a gym. I have an idea for a software company. 
whatever it may be. Okay. What are a few of the things that you believe are absolutely paramount and critical to actual success? Because you said, look, we can read a lot of books around theory, but you've actually seen both your own experience and then for the companies you invest in, you've actually seen the ones that actually work. What are some of those pillars? Yeah, I think, first of all, I mean, there is something they said for, is there a real market? I mean, I think you can waste your time. Well, let me caveat that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs I see say, well, my ideas isn't big enough. Okay, well, stress test that. Like, how big is the idea? It doesn't have to be huge. Howard Schultz started Starbucks with the idea that he was going to replicate coffee experience in Italy. Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook trying to meet girls at Harvard, right? I mean, those are the facts of those businesses. I don't think too many people sit around and say, I'm going to have a billion dollar business. Let's start with and go, am I solving a critical problem? Do I think customers are going to want to buy this and have loyalty to it? Those are just kind of the external parts. But then I think really what I encourage people to do is go talk to three or four people that you really trust and respect and see if they can talk you out of it. Because I think the most successful entrepreneurs, if someone really smart and thoughtful talks you out of it, maybe for good reason, maybe they show you something in the business plan that had a flaw, but also maybe your heart really is into it. And I tell entrepreneurs all the time, like you're going to do this job, especially if you raise capital for it, but you're going to spend you know, the next three, five, seven, 10 years of your life doing it. So make sure it's something that you're really excited about. And it's kind of like the get out of the shower. It's like the moment when you're like, I have to do this. And I would say that the most successful entrepreneurs that we work with at some point, they can't imagine the world without their particular product or service. You know, you stress test it, you try and have people talk you out of it and they can't, and you can't stop thinking about it. Usually that's the idea of like, all right, you know, situational appropriate, quit your job and get after it. Is it fair to say, are you familiar, first of all, with either the book or the guys from Play Bigger Category Kings? Are you familiar? With I, I have. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with it. Yes. So it's making me think about that. So one thing I think that you're saying is, is that even if three or four people say that's a bad idea, that's not going to work, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to work because Henry Ford said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And Steve Jobs and his vision, even let's just talk about the iPad, right? Forget iPods and iPhones. I mean, the iPad, we didn't realize that we actually needed the iPad until he told us that that was a problem. Same thing with Uber, by the way, right? We didn't all realize that we had a problem with taxi cabs until Uber described the problem that we all had with taxi cabs. And then we're like, oh, yeah, now we couldn't imagine going to a big city without Uber. So anyway, I just want to see what your thoughts are on that itself. Yeah, well, I think that it's so hard because, right, I mean, it sounds a little bit talking out of both sides of your mouth. Here's what I think the best entrepreneurs do. I think they get passionate and super excited about something, seeing the world differently. Mm -hmm. They can't be talked out of it. But the side benefit, I'm answering a little bit different question. The side attribute that they all have is that they listen and they take feedback. Doesn't mean they change, but they take feedback. And so I watch amazing entrepreneurs every day that come in and say, I want to build the next X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. And then if smart people say, well, maybe you don't go left, but you go slightly to the left and they go, ah, yeah, okay, now I'm going to take that and build upon it. So it's a thin, thin line between having the bold conviction to go do something different, but also taking feedback because one without the other doesn't work. If all you do is take feedback, you'll keep changing your mind. And if you don't listen to anybody you're probably going to get stuck somewhere along the journey. So I think that's the delicate balance, which 
probably outside of the categories and the think big and all that stuff. There's a pretty interesting balance here that's very rare. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's very nuanced what you're saying, but incredibly important. I have a feeling that you've probably sat, gotten emails or sat in board meetings with some of your companies you've invested in to give them feedback on things and they just are not willing to change. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, they shall remain nameless. Um, yeah, of course. But, but, what, but what's interesting, I mean, that's, that's why, like, again, not to go back to the book, but why I think the hardest thing and the most important attribute for entrepreneurship is the S, which is self-awareness. It's a pretty rare human that you could sit down and say, hey, Bradley, tell me your strengths and weaknesses. Tell me what you're good at, what you're not good at. Tell me what you like to do, what you don't like to do. You could lay that out in an efficient way. And then... Tell me how you're hiring your team or changing your strategy based on that. Or tell me how you're getting help based on that. Mm-hmm. The rare people that can say, you know what? I stink at marketing. It's really important for my business. I've got a coach that's helping me hire for that. And I just went and hired a world-class head of marketing. And I don't have to be a big business, small business. You know, I hate bookkeeping, but it's really important that I do that for, you know, to pay my payroll. Well, go get a great service provider. I mean, that's the, it sounds kind of simple, but really in the basics of entrepreneurship, understanding you as the leader, what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you like to do and not like to do. Heck, that's half the battle. Because then it gives you a blueprint of how you can then build your business, hire your team, get resources, get help, et cetera. It's almost like the most selfless thing that you can do is work on yourself as hard as anything else so that you can be more for your company, for your employees, for your customers, et cetera. I want to ask around persistence. We've kind of discussed nuance a little bit. Where do you see the grittiness that's needed in persistence? And at the same time, the balance of knowing, you know what, actually, I don't think this is going to work. And it's time to, I mean, honestly, you quit. I don't know what the exact details were, but at what point is it important to say, all right, we're staying the course, we're going to be persistent. And then sometimes it's like, you know what, honestly, you're throwing good money after bad. That idea is not going to work. You're going to have to pivot and move on. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard. I wish I had a succinct answer. I mean, sometimes pivot <laughs> pivot can get overused, which is like failure, right? Okay. You know, we, <laughs> we used to call pivots failures, but I use persistence because I think it really speaks to having the right mindset. I mean, here's the other thing about entrepreneurship. You have to be a bit crazy. You have to be a wildly optimistic. You have to see the world in a different lens than other people. And that's what gets you excited. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't quit and go start the business, big or small. But on the flip side, the steel toe boot to the forehead that happens pretty much day one is the world. You know, entrepreneurs like, this is going to be a great idea. Well, guess what? The world's busy and the world doesn't care. And the moment you go out after you've told your partner, mom, or whoever it is, your best friend, like, that sounds awesome. Go do it. Then you go out to talk to people like me or banks or customers or prospects. And they go, that sounds stupid and slam the door in your face. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you go pretty quickly from the euphoria of what it could be to meeting the world. And so I bring persistence up and more like, just understand that back to that marathon. You know, if you want to go run a marathon, I wouldn't say, Hey, here's a pair of shoes. Good luck. I'd say, no, you're going to have to train for four months. And so getting the persistent mindset and understanding it. The second part of your question, though, is at what point do you say, hey, I'm thrown in the towel? I think that's probably the hardest part of entrepreneurship. When you've tried your best, you've gotten a bunch of negative feedback. And we all love the stories of 
XYZ startup that pitched to a hundred venture capital and everyone said no. And then they went and started the business. Those are phenomenal stories. I love to hear them. Unfortunately, there's the flip side of that story of the entrepreneur who stuck with it for 20 years and wasted their life, right? So it's a delicate balance. I think the best part you can do, I guess if I broke it down to some actual real advice, if things aren't going well, and it really is a rough patch, that's where you go to your network. That's where you go to people that are more objective about what you're doing. Ask them for, given the data that's in front of them, how they would approach it and really rely on people you can trust to give you feedback. I think other than that, you're just going to keep pounding your head against the wall. Yeah, so good. I hope this question makes sense. Who did you become from the time that your company went from 2 million to 300 million? Because it's really easy for you to say, well, we started off with X number of employees, then we ended it with this many and we went public, et cetera. I get all that. But along the way, you had to change during those 13 years. You had to evolve and become a different person and grow from whenever you first started to the end. Like, how did you grow and develop during that time? I, both positive and negatively, I think in the years two through 10 or 11 pre-IPO, I certainly learned to be a more empowering leader. I had a coach after year three or four to tell a funny story in the book about how that came to be. But I had a coach who, multiple coaches who helped me become more empowering to my team, more trusting, less controlling. When you get to certain levels of scale, the command and control and everything has to go through me just doesn't work anymore. So that was a big shift for me. I think I also became hopefully focused on the career paths for those that worked for me and less on just my own success also mm-hmm. critical. So those were all the positive developments. I can't really think, you know, I read about in the book, I didn't quit. I got fired. I use quit in air quotes. And it was more my lead independent who I'd worked with and still very close to today came to me and said, you're done. And I said, you're right. It was just time for me to go. I was exhausted. But by the end, who did I become? I think I, on the negative side, I became, I was overworked. I was tired. I wasn't taking care of myself. I became a bit entitled and I lost my vision. I went to become an entrepreneur not for the financial rewards. I went to do it because I wanted to be part of a team. I wanted to help build something special. I love the idea of working hand in hand with people to try and build a great company and solve problems. That's why I did it. Along the way, I was very economically fortunate and the company grew. And I think I woke up by the end and I probably was entitled and lost focus on what I was trying to do. And the spirit for which I began the journey wasn't the spirit for which it was operating under. And that's when it's time to go. Like everything else in life, it's like, you know, things should have a beginning, middle and end. I joke, it was a great movie until the last two minutes. If you've ever seen a great movie and has a ending, you're like, oh, that that wasn't what I wanted. Um, So I didn't have a great ending, but it was the right one. I just had evolved in a way that a lot of positive development. I learned a lot. I worked with amazing people. And I did develop unique skills, but at the end, I also was like, huh, I wasn't really doing it for the reason that I thought. And I think that showed up. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that was my job. No, it's perfect. No, it's great. Yeah. My last question, then we'll get into rapid fire. That was kind of based on a little bit of a tail to that question. Do you believe that there are that outside of a handful of unicorn people, it appears And I'm just going to draw a line in the sand and you can change it and even disagree with me completely here. You have more experience than I do. But it seems like entrepreneurs typically love to get things started and off the ground and are probably able to get the company to maybe about $50 million. Then they kind of get burnt out on it 
and they either want to go start something else or it is better off to put it in the hands of someone else who maybe has a skill set that's different than to take it. Okay, now you can go take it from 50 million to 500 million. Do you believe that there's any truth in that? I would say that there's a ton of evidence. My heroes, I guess, or people, I guess I have the most admiration slash quizzical, like how do they do that? Are the folks that keep going. Like I, I'm in awe of like Jeff Bezos just retired, but 30 years, right? Or yeah. I see entrepreneurs that are able to go from concept. I went from just past concept all the way to 300 million. That was pretty rare. And then I fizzled out, yeah. you know, to see the people that actually take it from concept to multiple billions in 30 plus years. That's why like my favorite business book is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight about Nike. Cause he talks about selling shoes out of the back of his car all the way to running what Nike became. I mean, that's an extraordinary, incredibly yeah. unique story. And the reason we talk about those is because they're really unique. Most of the time, the skill set that it takes to quit your job and start something, you're rebellious. You don't like being told what to do. You want to go do something on your own. Those tend to, and I think what you're pointing out most of the time, those are inconsistent with scaling an operation most of the time. And so I think, yes, more often than not, the vision, the passion, the change the world energy that it takes to get something off the ground, eventually, usually when guys like me get involved in venture or growth equity, then we start talking about processes and scale and systems. The average entrepreneur is like, uh, I don't like to talk about that stuff, right? <laughs> That's the you know, reason I quit my big company job to become an entrepreneur is because exactly. I, I hated all that stuff. And so I think that's pretty natural. I also think that the best entrepreneurs are, go back to the self-awareness, they're highly cognizant. And it's like, you know what? I'm amazed by people that can use leadership where they just defer to others and empowering leadership. I'm not good at it, right? So I think yeah. that's where it gets into like knowing what you're good at, knowing like, hey, I'm going to wave the white flag here and hand it off to somebody. That should be celebrated, in my opinion, because that's an idea that you know what you like to do and what you're good at. And if the company gets to a point where you're no longer in your skill zone, then hand it off. There's no crime in that. That's a great answer. I love it. All right. You ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire? Let's hit it. Last book that you read. 1974. It's an interesting book. I think that's the name of the title. I'm escaping because it was about 1974 in Hollywood and a bunch of things that were happening there that changed cultural change that I think are coming to life today. So I believe that's the name of the book. I'll double check. 1974. I loved your book. The book that you would recommend the most to other entrepreneurs. Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog for understanding scale. I'm going to give you two. And then The Hard Thing About the Hard Thing by Ben Horowitz about just the gut-wrenching ups and downs of starting a business. Who would you love to sit next to on a 10-hour flight and why? Elon Musk, because I would love to understand how that brain works. I've heard him on <laughs> podcast and I don't get it. Yeah, no, I don't either. I thought you might say Phil Knight. Yeah, I'd love to do that too. That'd be fun. But I just think from a provocative, like just how you yeah. think of things like Tesla, a tunnel company and a spaceship to Mars, like that's pretty, pretty out there. And you got 10 that's, hours, right? You know? Yeah, that's true. You can get through one of them, let alone all three of them in 10 hours. All right, <laughs> I love it. So you're around a lot of tech companies. Other than the native apps on your iPhone and the obvious ones, what's your favorite tech tool or app that you use? So Spotify, because I use that's where my source of all my content is. So it's on my phone. So I'm using that for music. I'm using that for podcasts. If not, I'm going to go with, I've got a couple different meditation apps like Calm that help me try and develop that skill, which I stink at. <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. I like calm. Yeah, calm's good. When you're not working, what do you love to do the most? I've got four kids, so I'm spending time with them as much as possible. And then I'm fishing. If I can get a day off, I'm going to go try and catch a fish. Oh, love it. The world's starting to finally open up the one travel destination that you have not been to that you would love to go. Safari in Africa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. My wife and I want to do that one. What did you learn the most about yourself during the pandemic? I am a social animal. I knew that, but nothing brought it home more than I love my wife and kids, but nothing being locked down and being told, you know, I guess to say I'm a social animal and I hate being told what to do. So the idea that I was told I couldn't do something drove me batty. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you know, I've asked that question to almost everybody exclusively the last 12 months or so. I've got more people that are very extroverted speakers, et cetera like yourself that have actually answered the question. They say, I'm actually more introverted than I thought. Okay. That's pretty interesting that most people have answered it that way. Yeah, I did not that think is. that they would say that. Can you give me your answer? We have time for that. Yeah. So biggest thing that I learned about myself is that some of the habits that I had in place during that time were very poor habits that I needed to rework because I had more time at home, like the work habits specifically. So the natural rhythms of traveling to the office, listening to podcasts, et cetera, went away. And so mm -hmm. I had to reset some of my habits during that time because like, for instance, I actually hurt my back pretty bad during that time because I was sitting more than I usually am. I'm usually walking around the office, et cetera. And I found myself sitting a lot and I ended up actually hurting my back pretty bad during the May timeframe from that. So that was one thing. Yeah. I'm going to change my answer. Then. I think what I learned the most is that I have more choice over, I think a lot of people I know learn this is like the thing, the resistance thing is I was on autopilot. I've got a board meeting in Minneapolis. Oh, I better fly there. Right. Just having all those choices removed was actually a freedom into itself. So that's my third learning. It's like, wow. So I don't have to do that. And suddenly my brain was cleared up with a lot of, should I go to Minneapolis? Not, no, I can't go to Minneapolis. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What keeps you up at night? I tend to sleep reasonably well. If I'm worried about something, I'm an optimist. I believe that entrepreneurship rules the world. I think we'll solve all the big problems. I mean, there are big problems, but I think we'll solve them. If I'm laying awake at night, it's usually something about my kids. You know, I think that's the thing about being a parent is like, it does never stop. And now my boys are starting to turn into teenagers. So a whole different level of concerns, trying to make sure I'm doing the right thing as a parent and that they're doing the right thing as uh, emerging adults. All right. Last question. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. After all, what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Make no small plans because they don't have the ability to move men's soul. It's a quote. I think whenever you get bogged down in small ideas and visions, then people start to retract. So I'm a big believer that set big arts goals, work really hard to achieve them and life tends to be interesting and enjoyable that way oh boy i love that quote i have not heard that one i'm gonna have to do some research on that one that's great mike this has been fantastic people want to learn connect with you number one how can they do that number two what's the best place for them to be able to pick up the book yeah so the book mr monkey me is on amazon again reminder all proceeds go to charity so it's uh, pretty easy to find because the title I'm on social at Mike Smirklo, S-M-E-R-K-L-O.com. And then I've got a website under my name, MikeSmirklo.com. That's got a bunch of content around entrepreneurship. It's got a free quiz you can take about your mental toughness as it relates to entrepreneurship and hopefully other good 
resources that people might find enjoyable and, and useful. Awesome. Mike, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Bradley. It was really fun. I tell you what, I got so much out of that. I'm going to go backwards a little bit based on the conversation with Mike and tell you some of the things I picked up. To me, one of the most transformative things I heard him say is at the very end when I asked him, hey, who did you become during those 13 years from the time that you started the company at bought it at 2 million, grew it to 300 million. And the answers he gave there, I think are worth noting. Number one, as he mentions, or very early on, I can't remember exactly what year to relevant, but he got a coach. And I've heard him talk about in my preparation for this interview about how he did not have a coach. And if you've not read the book, Trillion Dollar Coach, it was actually the person who was Steve Jobs coach and coach for a lot of people at Google. Fantastic book, by the way who he himself said, Mike, you need to have a coach. Why all these other people have a coach? Why do you not have a coach? Talking about Tiger Woods, et cetera. And so that inspired him to get a coach. So that's number one. What are you doing? You need to get a coach. You're coaching other people. Somebody needs to be helping you to grow and develop. Number two is he said, I needed to become a more empowering leader. And I did. Well, if that's true, why should we all be waiting now? We can develop that now. You don't have to be doing $2 million or $300 million to become somebody who is empowering. The other thing he said was, I began to focus on the career paths of others, not just himself. Are you focused on the career path of your team? Does your team actually know what their career path is in your organization? Or are they just in a sales role and a customer care role and you just need them cranking out more of that month over month? Think about that. And lastly, whenever he said, you know, I was overworked and I was tired. Now, he was able to get it to an IPO, sell out, obviously have a nice financial payday and then kind of reset. For many of you listening to this, that's not necessarily how it's going to end. You may not be able to sell your company. You got to take care of yourself. We did have this interweave of self-care throughout the interview. And I think that is so important. It doesn't have to take you to get to a health crisis. Many of you may know my story. 2015, that did happen to me. I found myself in the hospital thinking I was having, uh, thought I was having a heart attack. That's now part of my story. Come to find out I was more having a panic attack and I was overworked and I was stressed. A couple other things, obviously, the monkey on our shoulder, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Just his willingness to be able to put that out there. There's not a single person to listen to this podcast, business owner or not, that does not have those things. I do myself. We all have some level of imposter syndrome, some level of doubt. You can still do it scared. You can still get up in front of those people at Rotary, 300 people in your town, or maybe it's 10 people. Maybe it's you get nervous whenever you stand in front of your team. You can still do it scared. We all face those things. If you don't think Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk still has fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you must think they're not human. I think it was Mark Andreessen also that told him, hey, have a big vision. Look for advantages for your company. That stood out to me. And again, we also mentioned the importance of self-care, leading yourself first. As Mike said, all the proceeds of the book go to charity. So make sure you go to Amazon and support him. Check him out at mikesmirklow.com. Hey, as we get into 2022, let's make this the best year yet for your small business. Let's make 2022 the best year yet. If not this year, when? If not you, who? Let's do this. Look, I talk about it every single week and you know what I'm going to say. Work with the best of the best. You know you need to have an online presence. You know you need to be able to work on your SEO and your PPC campaigns. Work with the best. Go to directclicksinc.com. You also know the importance of developing yourself 
and especially developing your team on a regular basis. Well, wouldn't you want to do that with somebody who's already getting it done in their agency at the highest level? Work with Coach David Peterson and his team. Go to CoachPConsulting.com. Make sure you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast and get 50% off your first month. You know, I've had him on the podcast, and if you haven't listened to it, make sure that you go back, listen to the podcast I did with Josh Fuller, CEO, founder of Relevant Advantage. What an incredible masterclass of entrepreneurship and small business. Also, they are the best in the business. If you're looking to stand out in your marketplace with quality promotional materials, make sure you visit them at their website, relevantadvantage.com. And if you're a State Farm agent, go to sfagentpromos.com. Mike mentioned it actually on the podcast. He said, you know, hey, the stuff about my financials, that's not the fun things, but I also realize how important it is. That's coming from a guy who is seen and witnessed himself through his own business and then all of the businesses. I think he said he has a pool they've invested in 60 or 65 companies, something like $300 million, $500 million in assets under management. Hey, if he sees the importance of having good financials, maybe you should too. Maybe you should treat your business like a business. Get monthly financial statements so you can have those analytics, see how you stack up against other people, not to compare yourself, but to be able to make better decisions. Is now the right time to hire that new salesperson? Do you have the money to afford that? What about giving yourself a pay raise? What are the things that need to happen in order for you to do that? Are you the lowest paid person in your business? For many of you listening, it may be the case. It shouldn't be that way. You got into business to go out and make a difference. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well. But you got to have good financials to be able to do that. Work with the best. Go to club.capital and book your no obligation demo today. All right, everyone. Awesome start in 2022 with some amazing guests. I hope this is your best year yet. Until next episode, lead well.